We are in the midst of what appears to be a colossal and history-making blackout. Not just this city, but to massive points north and west, as far west as Cleveland, Ohio, and as far north as the Canadian cities of Ottawa and Toronto. Office workers poured into the streets, traffic lights went out, and gridlock gripped Manhattan. Subways stopped dead in their tracks, and thousands were stranded underground. You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Michael DeVolpierre, Communications Officer with the American Red Cross in Greater New York, and I'm proud to welcome you to a new season of our podcast. Over these next few months, we'll deliver a series of episodes, each one looking at a different disaster from the past 20 years that either impacted our country or our city. Today, we'll remember one of the most significant power outages in recent memory, an emergency that put our great city to the test. On August 14, 2003, the northeastern U.S. and parts of southeastern Canada, an area with a population of 50 million people, lost power. In New York City, it would last more than 24 hours. The summer heat, hours without electricity, communications disruptions, and memories of 9-11 brought about a host of worries and hazards. But New York City came together. In this episode, we'll be hearing from some of the agencies and organizations, including the Red Cross, tasked with keeping New Yorkers safe. Given the fear and anxiety experienced by New Yorkers during this historic event, information was critical. As is the case in so many emergencies where power grids go down and lines of communication like cell service and television are disrupted, radio stations became invaluable tools for helping keep New Yorkers informed and calm during the blackout. Now, we'll hear from 1010 Winds reporter Glenn Shook, who was working downtown at City Hall when the lights went out. You know, people compare events to 9-11 a lot of times, which I don't like. In my opinion, there's not much that can ever compare to that. But, you know, in terms of the fear and in terms of, you know, why did this happen? Was it, you know, there was some talk initially, you know, was this some kind of a, you know, a terror thing again? You know, was this someone else taking out an electric grid so they can come in and attack us in the night or... Believe me, there was things, you know, thoughts about that a lot. And this is before social media was very active, you know, Twitter, Facebook, it's certainly not Instagram, things like that. So it was more people on the street fearful in terms of 1010 winds playing a role in trying to keep people calm and, you know, where they could go for assistance and what Con Ed was saying and when they thought they'd get the power back. And that was just comforting New Yorkers again in terms of getting them the information they needed and proved uh, to be important that I was there. And I, I stayed there through the night. You know, that's an obligation we have to, to get the information out through times like a blackout or the pandemic and people rely on us uh, no matter how they're getting the news from, whether it's their phone or they're in their car or whatever. So uh, now we take it very seriously. We, we realize that we feel that we're, it's a responsibility that we do uh, you know, a good job because people are coming to us, even from around the country, to get the, the most accurate and, and unbiased information. For the Red Cross, where safety and preparedness are so important, it was essential to disseminate information about our services and share many of the risks brought on by the blackout. Longtime Red Cross Public Affairs volunteer Bob McGrath spent much of his night in the Red Cross Command Center on the west side of Manhattan. We were also getting direct calls in from people who said, hey, I'm stuck in my apartment and I don't know what to do. And they ended up calling a Red Cross and we would try to give them advice, get them to emergency responders if they needed, or in some cases, send our team to them. What we were trying to get out to the media uh, for the Red Cross's role at that point was safety. 
was blackout safety was don't light 28 candles, don't use an inside grill, don't do things in the blackout that can be dangerous, even though you need to cook, you need to see, etc. And we were trying to get that word out. And primarily getting that word out was done through radio interview. So I did a number of them, you know, it was pretty constant over the course of the evening and into the uh, early morning hours. 4 a.m. I drive down to the village and my mother uh, lived down on Bleecker Street. And I walk up her apartment, the elevator's down, lights are out in this big apartment building. I walk up the four stores, four stories, get to uh, my mom's apartment. I'd key open the door and it was like a seance was going on. There were candles everywhere. I'm like, and my mother's like, oh, I heard you on the radio, Robbie. I'm like, yeah, ma, can we put like these candles out? Sharon Hawa, who was also at our command center, helping to coordinate Red Cross assistance, remembers tracking what was occurring and dispatching relief. So I went from managing the, the incoming teams of people that were coming in in the IRVs, the emergency response vehicles, to helping out in the emergency communications center, keeping track of all of the fires that were coming through the dispatch. People were using candles to see uh, at night, which would catch a curtain on fire or bedding on fire. And we, we just, I remember it just turning into this nightmare situation where it was nonstop. Like it was like a wildfire happening in the city. There were over 60 residential fires that night. It was just, I'd never heard anything like that in terms of seeing the response. And it really, the city was, I thought, very close to real, uh, this was a disaster, but with those fires, real disaster. Of course, the FDNY was at the front lines of all those fires occurring across the city. Here is Chief of Department Thomas J. Richardson, who worked out of Crown Heights, Brooklyn at the time, discussing the difficulties his team faced throughout the night. The borough of Brooklyn alone had 25 working fires in a 24-hour period. That's, that's a lot for one borough. Typically in the city, we get between a dozen and 20 fires citywide for a 24-hour period. We staffed up. I know that the job that night, we added extra people onto the engine companies to make sure all of our engine companies had five firefighters. You know, I mean, we had we were so busy that we were sending sometimes single units to incidents that we normally would send multiple units. And uh, I have always admired the Red Cross response when they come to fires and emergencies and when we have people that need relocation. I always found them very professional. I always found them very compassionate. And then we worked well together. Across New York City during the blackout, everyday services and life really were severely disrupted. Subways were stopped in their tracks. People were stuck in elevators. You couldn't take cash out from ATMs. And communications networks went down, causing a host of issues for the general public and for the different organizations responding to this emergency. 
one of the problems was the communications, including PD and fire, was selling it were very limited. As I recall, the blackout had an impact on emergency response communications. So it was not an easy haul on the 911 system or the responders. Here's Thomas Richardson again from the FDNY. Communications-wise, the radio was very, very busy. And so the dispatchers had all they had to uh, try and uh, maintain calm on the radio and, and get the units to respond where they needed to go. We had issues because when you have no power, right, we relying on generator power. Our dispatchers were working hard to make sure that our communication links were up and running and continuously running. Because if we don't have communications in public safety, fire and EMS and PD, we're not able to get the responses. We're not able to respond in a timely way. So I think there were a lot of behind the scenes folks that deserve a lot of credit. And um, I'm sure in all the city agencies, all the technical experts, the computer experts, the communications experts were all collaboratively working to try and do their best. Here's Bob again from the Red Cross. We had activated their group of volunteers then who were ham radio enthusiasts, and they had both a mobile truck with a ham radio, and then they had, of course, ham radio operators will have their base stations in their home or whatever, and a couple of portable units, and they actually were out working. We were communicating with them. In some cases, they were communicating directly with responders, including fire department in particular. Here's Sharon again from the Red Cross. I remember us needing to get a whole bunch of quarters because it was prior to the mobile phone explosion. So the only thing that was working were landline phones. And so we had to get rolls and rolls and rolls of quarters to give our responders so that when they got to the field, they would have to find a payphone and call into the emergency communication center and give us an update on the response. And that was a pain for them too, because I mean, if anyone is from New York City, they'll know that back in the day, like one out of every 10 payphones actually worked. During the blackout, in addition to emergency assistance following all those fires, the Red Cross also deployed volunteers with water and ice to transportation hubs across the city to support stranded commuters. We also sent out our mental health workers to ease New Yorkers' anxieties. And as the night went on and the city grew darker, volunteers helped distribute water, snacks, and meals, as well as light sticks, batteries, and flashlights to strategic locations across New York City. What I remember the most is just how well we all gelled and worked together to get it done. I think that it was just a, a sense of camaraderie and a sense of achievement and accomplishment because we were able to band together and work on such as this huge, tremendous response in this time of need in New York City. Uh, anytime we have these types of large scale emergencies, I'm always proud to say that I'm a member of the FDNY because this is what we train for. This is what we prepare for. And um, we're very proud of the work that our people do, responding to fires, medical emergencies, and other emergencies. And uh, this was no different. We did our very best to uh, try and help the people of the city of New York. Although the blackout was a troubling time for our city, as we've heard, we all came together.
We at the Red Cross want to thank our partners. We want to thank our volunteers. And we want to thank all New Yorkers for their commitment to the well-being of their neighbors each and every day. This episode was produced by me, Michael DeVolpierre, and edited by Mackenzie Lynch with support from Chi Kong Lu. We'd love to hear more from you, our listeners. Please share, like, subscribe, or leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform. We hope you'll join us for our next episode coming out on August 26th. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to look out for one another.